Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald. Well, okay. Also with us, Jed Brewer. Well, okay. Joining us all the way from Richard, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Well, okay. Oh, that got very smooth there at the end. Really went that really went Billy D all the way. <laughs> I was going for Lando Calrissian. Well, yeah, there you go. That's that's what you got to get, my man. One of the few versions where you you want to get past Donald Glover and get to the mm-hmm. the undiluted one. Uh, we have a great show for you. We got some wonderful questions, but first we start with a ripping off an idea emergency. Oh, Woo! oh, what? It's, it's really kind of one of the things we do best. It's one of the things we do the most. You think we'd be good at it by now? <laughs> Um, so I, we, we came across and some folks may have seen this on the social medias. Uh, this is the first time we've recorded since it's happened. Uh, there was a thread on, on a website I'm not familiar with called Reddit that said simply mm. one of the great prompts in the history of the internet, what Bible story would, could be rewritten as a Florida man story. You're all probably familiar with the, the Florida man genre that's reported as somebody does crazy, you know. Florida man steals neighbor's lawnmower and drives to Dairy Queen or whatever, you know, but Florida man and then insert crazy thing. And I wanted us to get on this because I felt like this was exactly our wheelhouse. And to get us get us ready, I will read some of the highlights from the, from the Reddit thread as it was. We've got <clears throat> Florida man kills his brother in a field, says he was, quote, jealous of what the Lord gave him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, one of my favorites was definitely. Florida governor tells Florida man to bring him the foreskins of a hundred Californians in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Florida man falls asleep in lion enclosure. A bird is unscathed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that Jed is responding to these first being that he is actually a Florida man. I am indeed. I, yeah. Miami is a, it's a, it's a genre of Florida man. Certainly. Yeah. The Florida man with spices. Florida man claims superhuman strength until Florida woman cuts off his mullet. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of good uh, Florida man stories need to uh, involve either an alligator or a snake or some form of exotic pet that should not be kept. Well, I think one of the one of the highlights, and I know one close to Glenn's heart is. Florida man sends she bear to attack children for mocking his baldness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah. How about how about Florida man's wife kicks him out of the house after he dances naked for bringing box to the capital of the country? That's very very good. Yeah, I did feel that the the ones that came up uh, really le- leaned very hard on the the Old Testament stuff, which is totally understandable. But I liked. Uh, you know, you could do something about like Elijah, the province of Baal, Florida man wins arson contest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought a, a good New Testament one would be uh, to get into sold out show, Florida man lowered in through roof by friends. Yes. <laughs> mm, yes. Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament ones, and somebody did a version of this, but I like a uh, Florida man accidentally trades inheritance for beans. <laughs> Jacob and Esau situation there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some uh, one of the good ones from the Reddit thread. I just found Florida man claims devil responsible for his herd of drowned pigs. Yes, <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's 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 really good. I was I actually just read in the just happened to read in the book of Judges the story of Deborah who uh you know uh, uh predicts that this 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 guy that's that's you know fighting the israelites is going to be killed by a woman after the battle is over he runs and hides in this woman's tent she takes a tent pole and like buries it into his temple when he falls asleep and i feel like there's a really good kind of florida man headline in that one oh that's florida man material and i think florida man dies as a result of uh injuries sustained while on camping trip with wife is very florida yeah certainly yeah, yeah. I, I would suggest a couple. Uh, first is Florida man cuts off ear with sword, flees the scene. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very good. Thank you, thank you. Also, and I, I really feel good about this one, Florida couple homeless after listening to advice of literal snake. 
<laughs> that is that, that yeah. is very good. Oh gosh. Well, one of my favorite stories from the the New Testament is is the story of Rhoda when when Peter's in prison and there's an earthquake and he's he go he runs free and comes to the house where they're all at and it, no one will let him in because they think he's a ghost. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's a Florida man story right there. You know, we the, thought you yeah. was a toad. <laughs> you know, in in freak occurrence, Florida man flees from jail, isn't allowed into his home because they assume he's a ghost. You know? <laughs> yes, I mean, that's quite good. <laughs> I think, well, you could go a great one. I think the only one I can really think of where, where Jesus plays the role as, as the titular Florida man is Florida man rides through middle of town on donkey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For sure. I think one of the, the key ones, and there's probably a several uh, episodes from this dude's life, but I think Noah has may have the biggest Florida man energy. Yes. Of any biblical character, you know, Florida man gets drunk and sleeps naked to celebrate successful boat trip. <laughs> well if you add in you know collecting uh you know numerous exotic species on his boat then yeah that's sure florida man has has busted with boat full of exotic animals as god told him to do it <laughs> yeah that's right that's right that's it yeah i think um we, to go back to the old testament i think th- Rahab might be a good one on the other side of, you know, Florida men trust prostitute with military secrets. <laughs> Another uh, good wall-based one would be the the story of Paul. And one of my favorite Paul stories in Acts where he, he thinks he's going to be a really good preacher to the uh, Jews and pisses everyone off so bad he has to leave town before they kill him. <laughs> kind of in a, in a dumpster. Yeah, lo- local man escapes in basket kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. There's also the kid, the kid Eutychus, who fell out of a third story window listening to Paul preach too long, and so there's yes. kind of Florida man falls to death because of marathon sermon. Yeah, that one could exist in a number of places. One of the ones I saw in the thread that I liked a lot was Florida man claims wife exploded into something like bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a big genre of kind of. You know, person does crazy thing because the voice told them to. Yes, right. yes. A, a big kind of, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac going on there. Yeah. But you, I guess you could kind of do Aaron. It would have to alter the story a little bit, but, you know, Florida man carries around snake believing it was walking stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know it, when you read a really good Florida man story, it has that ring of like only in Florida, but if you read enough of them and you have relatives from the South, eventually you read a story of something that's, you know, part of your family. Right. Like this. Oh no, that was my cousin. Well, you look at like the story of Gideon and it's like, uh, Florida man, uh, chooses war posse based on how they hit the water fountain. Right, that's right. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, what about the wheels within wheels? You know, that's that's your basic <laughs> UFO situation right there. <laughs> yeah, Jacob's ladder situation will work very well. I think, uh, well, yeah, if you're going to go for, for that area of, of Genesis, uh, Florida man uh, beaten savagely by brothers because they were jealous of his coat. Yes. <laughs> that's definitely yes. happened. <laughs> Oh, I'm scrolling through the Reddit thread here. Here's another uh, another quite good one with Jesus as the, the titular Florida man. Florida man flips tables at religious building and chases out occupants with homemade whip. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Well, what about David? Uh, you know, Florida man dances naked through town because he uh, uh, accomplished uh, something important. That's right. Very good. Very good. You know, Florida man dances naked for outperforming boss at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. That's it. Well, I think it was, it was there's the uh, you know Peter and the the vision where he, God declares that foods are no longer unclean, but uh, you know man has a vision of shrimp descending from heaven. Might be a little more Louisiana man. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you know, Gulf Coast man, anyway. That, that's just yes. Tuesday, I think, over there. Well, if you have any good ones, you feel free to hit us up on social media. And, uh, you know, it's. I think this is a good way to um, to remind ourselves that, as we often point out, that the the people uh, in the Bible were not heroes. They were uh, they were uh, just as crazy as the rest of us. And it really helps when you put the Florida man uh, cask around that. You know, you take even the most sacred of stories. I'm looking at one now. Florida man sets Bush on fire, claims it talks to him. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah the Florida man claims to be receiving messages from God through his shrubbery in his backyard. That's, you know, that that fits. That, that, well, that could also be any suburban kind of outpost, just maintaining the bushes so God will talk to me. Florida right. man, Florida man beats his own donkey claims it told him there was an angel in the street. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> I think these are all excellent, excellent things, and we will wrap up on that very, very good note, and we will declare emergency off, but idea still ours. So that's how the stealing right. emergencies work. We also have uh, some stuff we want to let you know about. We want to let you know that every seven Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Central Time, you can join us over at Facebook.com slash Chicago for our Bridge Live service. We're having a lot of fun. We hope you will come join us. If you can't join us live, where it's, we encourage you to join us live, get involved in the chat. It's a great time. But if you can't do that, you can join us whenever is convenient for you, where you are in the world. Every episode is archived at the videos tab, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. If you just need some more bridge stuff for yourself, you can head on over to missionusa.com slash bridge box for only $8 a month. You can sign up and get some great stuff into your inbox. The first of every month. Songs, sermons, Bible studies, a whole lot of other fun stuff, and your money goes to fund our deacons program here in the city. We have some awesome yeah. deacons. We've recently added some deacons. They do amazing work. Even in these COVID-ravaged times, they are doing great stuff, and they can do that because you find folks. Support it. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in... To us, if you hang out with us all the way to the end of the show, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes into our Tumblr and says, I have impure thoughts over time, but still do good out of heart. I know actions speak louder than the words, but I feel that I am condemning myself. How will Jesus look on such things? And a, a cool question, a, a lot going on. Um, impure thoughts over time. I believe was also the title of a show that was on MTV late at night in the nineties <laughs> hosted by John Stewart before he got famous, but a lot of great stuff going on here. And Lee, I think we can all relate to this dichotomy of uh, what we think versus what we do and that balance. <laughs> but how do we go about kind of unraveling that and getting some peace in it? Where do we start with that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm li- I like the way that the you're framing that up, Matt. And, and, and I think this is a really, really a good thing for us to be talking about, and for the question asker, really, really cool for you to to write this in. The one of the things that we can get caught up in super easily, and so we want to just kind of go back to basics and be extremely clear about, is that there is a difference between temptation and sin. That we are plagued by thoughts that would want to take us down a certain you know, pathway, take us down to certain actions, uh, lead us into certain things that the Lord doesn't want for us all the time. Um, that, and, and it's really, really important for us to recognize that being tempted and actually committing a sin are two different things. It's important for us to realize that because if we're not clear on that, then we're going to wind up condemning ourselves for things that the Lord actually doesn't condemn us for at all. Um, things that he wouldn't be upset with at all. One of the things that we learn about in Scripture is that Jesus was actually tempted in every way. That's a, that's a, a verse from the book of Hebrews. It says, Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin, which means there's a massive difference in actually in being tempted and then sinning. You can have a thought in your head and not act on it, not do anything about it, not head down the direction of where that thought would want to take you. And you actually have no reason to feel condemned at all. You have no reason to feel guilty. You have no, you haven't done anything. And that's a really, really good thing to be secure about and to be sure about, um, to know that, 
look, just because I had a certain thought, it doesn't mean I acted on it. doesn't mean I did it. I was talking with some guys one time in, um, in a, in a situation, it was a, it was a Bible study in kind of a County jail situation. And I was asking them, okay, when you, when you guys are like, when you have a temptation to do a certain thing, um, when does that become a wrong thing? And how many steps are involved before you actually do the thing? Like what the temptation, what the temptation is and what it actually takes to pull that off. And these guys started telling stories and we realized that for the thing that most of them had in common, there were like 12 steps involved before they actually did the thing that they were tempted to do. And we realized like, oh man, that the thing that they realized that in that moment was that they had confused the actual sin itself with the temptation to sin. And once they felt tempted, they already felt like they had done it. Therefore, they walked all the way through all of those steps, all the way into doing it. And the thing that we were saying that we were trying to help them see was, actually, you hadn't done anything yet. You, I mean, you know, you're talking about step number one is I start thinking about people I could call to hook me up with that thing. Step number two is I try to find the money that I could give to that person to get hooked up with that thing. Step number three is I find transportation to get to that place to spend that money with that person. And we realized that they, because they had confused temptation and sin, they actually had already condemned themselves and walked all the way through 9, 10, 11 steps to actually doing the thing. If we're super clear on the fact that temptation and sin are not the same thing, then we can ask for wisdom, help, strength, distraction, another thing along the process of any of those steps before we ever get down the road on this. And that's a super, super important thing to realize. Um, and so that's that's where we want to start with this is if you realize I actually am not carrying out the thing I'm tempted to do, well, then I don't need to condemn myself at all. What you actually have is a victory that you need to celebrate. And what we want to do is celebrate that victory alongside with you, uh, alongside you. The other thing I would say is this, um, one of the best things that I ever did in my personal walk with the Lord was to just decide to talk with him about everything that I was tempted about. Um, I think that early in my relationship with the Lord, if I felt tempted about something, that felt like something that I should be ashamed about, and I should hide that back from my conversation or prayer life. And then I realized, well, he already knows everything anyway. And actually, he's already forgiven me for every sin in my past, present, and future. Um, And he still wants to hang out with me and still wants to know me. And actually, also, he has all the wisdom that I don't have about why that thing would be a bad idea and why he's got something better for me and what that better thing would be. So what if I just included him in all the messy process of me being tempted, sometimes having victory, sometimes having failure, just include him in every piece of that? And the thing that I think that you would find if you were to do that is Jesus knows he has unbelievable patience for you. He wants to be included in the process of how you make those decisions. And a lot of the times when you may be condemning yourself, he might not be upset at all. He might be saying, you're actually doing great. You felt a temptation, which is a normal part of being a human being, and you had victory in that. And so we need to be really, really clear about what temptation is versus what actually sin is. And then we want to include Jesus in every piece of that process as honestly as possible, knowing that he's patient and he does not condemn you. He has wisdom for you. He has better for you. And he wants to walk with you through all of that stuff. I think that's a wonderful place to start this off. And Jed, I'd love for you to pick us up there because I think one of the things that's going on here is there's, so I think. Lee is absolutely right. There's a difference between temptation and sin, but he's also pointing out, I think correctly, that there are things that are sin that are not necessarily action. There are thoughts that are sinful. You know, Jesus runs through a bunch of them in Matthew 5. So I, I wonder if what we have here is also a tension not only between kind of inner life and outer life and temptation and action, but um, doing good in some ways, not doing good in other ways that are also valid and real. And what does that say about me as a person? Well, what it says, it's a great question. And what it says is that you're a sinner. That's it. 
Uh, it says that you are an imperfect person and a sinner, exactly like the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, dude, I I know that you know this, but it it deserves to be said out loud. Everybody knows you're a sinner, man. Um, like everybody, literally, there is no one who's actually confused about that. I think what you're likely to find is that most people just don't care, uh, because that's that's all we've got here on planet Earth. Let me tell you a little bit of story to, to maybe illustrate the point. So I have been um, I, I first got involved as, as a volunteer with the work the Mission USA does almost 20 years ago. Wow. And in that time, I've been it's been a huge honor. I've I've been able to be a part of feeding a lot of hungry people. And I've been a part of providing housing to a lot of homeless people. Never once in those 20 years have I had a person who was hungry or homeless that I was in the process of helping. I've never once had them say, hey, I appreciate this, but let's pause for a second. Um, like, how are, like, how's your browser history? Like, <laughs> are you, are you, are you dotting your I's? You crossing your T's? How are things going in your thought life? Mm. Exactly right. I have literally never once had that happen. Uh, and it would be surprising if it did, because... Um, if I have like a need, uh, and someone is prepared to sacrifice, to be there for me and do something about that need, that's really all I care about. Um, I'm sure that they have impure thoughts from time to time. I'm sure they look at naughty things online from time to time, but I'm really focused on their desire to help me and the fact that they are currently here presently doing it. I'm kind of hungry. That's the thing that I'm thinking about. Exactly. I'm kind of hungry, and this person is willing to help me do something about that, so let us focus on that. Now, if you went and you talked to, uh, you know, those many people who were hungry or were homeless, and you said, but you do know Jed's a sinner, though, right? I mean, they would all say, yeah, but I don't care, though, because, you know, I, I was going through a hard time, and he was prepared to do something about it. And so, you know, you say in your question that you have these impure thoughts, and, and we hear that, and you say, but I, I still do good, you know, out of out of my heart. The people that you do good towards, they're concerned about the fact that you're doing good towards them. That's that's the part they care about. They they know that you're a sinner because again, literally everyone is a sinner. And so where this leaves you, which I know is a really, really uncomfortable place to be, is you are a work in progress. And if you're a Christian, that's the only option you have. There, there actually aren't other categories of Christians. You are a person that God is working on, that the Holy Spirit is very slowly shaping and transforming and making more like Jesus. And um, some days that might be going better than others. It's never going quickly because that's not an option. And critically, it's not going to be completed in this life. You are not going to become perfect and perfectly sanctified uh, this side of eternity. That's that is just not an option. And so, the thing that's before you that again is really, I know it feels disorienting and I know it feels uncomfortable is recognizing God has work for me to do today. He has people for me to serve and people for me to help today out of the goodness of my heart. And He wants me to do that. He also wants to work within me to help me to grow in certain ways. Some of those may ultimately, you know, impact my my thought life and the things that I look at online. But God is also really kind and really patient, and he's not in a hurry with me. Right. Um, and he gets that I'm imperfect. He he uh, has known that a long, long time. Uh, he understands. He's, he's willing to be gentle and to be patient and, and to take as much time as we need. There's one more thing that I, I want to add because I think it's easy for Christians to to get confused on this, which is there's a huge difference between being in a pastoral role or a teaching role versus being in a helping role. The Bible does say that teachers will be uh, held to a higher standard, um, that the teachers will be will be held to account. You just helping people does not put you in the category of a pastor or a teacher. Um it it is true that someone who's the pastor of a church or who you know runs a ministry, um, there is some a cre- some pardon me some credibility that needs to be there and some accountability that needs to be there. Um, but it doesn't sound like you're in that kind of role, which means you can go easy on yourself, man. Um, you've got sins, you've got struggles. Everybody does, but um, we're going to figure it out over time, and it. That 
the fact that you are human and a sinner doesn't in any way keep you from being able to serve and being able to help people and the fact that they will receive it and be blessed by it. So ease up on yourself. It's a great place to build on that. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, yeah, I, I I love this question, and I think it's very relevant because you're you're. I like the way you ended it. You said, um, uh, "I feel that I'm condemning myself," and and how will Jesus Christ think of that? Uh, it's a great it's a great question because it turns out uh, Jesus does not in any way like you condemning you. Yep, he really yep. does not like that. Now you're you're in touch with these quote unquote impure thoughts and how much you imagine that Jesus is against that. But I don't think you're in touch with uh, even a small portion of how vehemently God dislikes condemnation uh, towards you, uh, and that that uh, and a, a discouraging uh, um, condemnation of uh, where you're at is something that that he is very, very much against. So we need to have that sense of, uh, you know, I, if I'm condemning myself, I'm not closer to righteousness. I've, I'm not, I've not gotten, I've not made progress towards this thing. Uh, I'm, I'm just trading one, you know, um, unproductive uh, and, and perhaps ungodly uh, way of thinking for another one. So let's figure out how to get on the positive side of that. Let's start here. Um, you say you have impure thoughts. Okay. Here's my question. How many pure thoughts do you have? Uh, if you think, well, you know, you know, that, that they've all got a little bit of something in them. Then let me ask you this question. How many pure thoughts do you think the rest of us have? <laughs> because uh, I, I'd love to have like really purity thinking in my head at some point. Uh, I, I can't imagine what that would be like exactly. Uh, because my thoughts kind of start with, um, well, they just start uh, based on either some emotional state that I'm in, which is, is not going to be a righteous thing, or it's a, something in my body, you know, my flesh, I might be tired. I might be, you know, hungry, something like that. So, um, those things start in a negative place and I wrestle them into something that's more righteous and more in keeping with, with what God wants. I think being a good Christian is the wrestling process that yields a slightly better outcome. That's that's what I think being a Christian is. I can't imagine the thinking in another person's head that being a Christian is having pure thoughts all day. I don't even know what that is. Also, actually, I think that's like super fake and doesn't exist. So, you know, that... You know, if somebody's saying you just need to have more purity in your thinking, I, th I that sounds like that sounds like a you don't know that's fake, dude. That's you just made that up. This is not how, what Christianity is about. <laughs> to, to me, it's like if you want me to measure my Christianity, I would measure it by um, what it is that I've overcome. Uh, now, of course, that's God working a transformation within me, and but it's also me yielding to that, and it's also working that out in a daily, practical, real-world kind of environment. So if you want to say, how sanctified am I, I would, I would say, well, here are the things that I've overcome. But what you're trying to, to, to look at is the, the having to overcome part of that is evil in and of itself. So you've taken the thing that is making you righteous, as Lee was pointing out, that you that you are not giving in to temptation. That's the victory. That's the whole battle. That's it. If you think the whole battle is not being tempted in any way, not having any thoughts, you don't understand how the human brain <laughs> works, for God's sake. But the idea that that you would take 
overcoming this and turn it into condemnation because you started from a place of, you know, not wanting to overcome it. Uh, you've allowed that the, the devil to come in and steal that victory from you. And we want you to take that mm. back. Mm. That's all excellent stuff from all these guys on that. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, is there an amendment to the not owing anyone an argument policy you guys have discussed? I assume it's okay to snap at a legalistic, uh, colorful uh, local language descriptor here deleted, but it was a humdinger once in a while. For example, when I when a dyslexic person is shamed for using a lowercase j when writing the name of Jesus while sharing their testimony, I tried to be nice to and Seinfeld check said grammar cop with a, really? That was my best Seinfeld. I haven't watched a show in a while. Um, and he confirmed that he was indeed serious and that it was, quote, a matter of respect. At this point, I felt compelled by Matthew 25 to hand this guy his own behind to support the guy that he went after. It did feel good, and he did back off, so I think something like this can have its place, right? And a very cool question, a great, a great follow-up to something we, we talk about a fair amount with the, we talked recently about arguments, particularly arguments online. And Jed, I'd love you to just start us off here, because I think our question asker makes a very good point that not every interaction with another person where you disagree is an argument, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start by reviewing that idea of the not owing anyone an argument policy, because uh, it's it's generally very good advice, and we want to be clear how this is different. So you doubtlessly have you know a, a someone you know or someone that you're related to who routinely uh, posts something on social media that is um, – really inadvisable and poorly thought out and poorly researched and not true and, and maybe not exactly um, well advised. And there is a part of, of you, if you're anything like me that, that sees that and feels like maybe you want to weigh in and you want to set the record straight, which is almost always a bad idea. Um, and you will also have situations where that same person invites your input here is my completely wild, uh, untethered reality thought and idea. What do you think? Um, and again, uh, you want to tread carefully because you, as, as, and I believe Matt was one to coin this phrase, you just don't owe anyone an argument. Uh, people want to argue about Bible verses. They aren't argue about this. You, you just don't owe them an argument. So, um, uh, as, as Matt is fond of saying, only a fool has a fool's argument. I came up with that. It, it, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> It's very impressive. So, but what we're talking about here is actually a little bit different because you weren't having an argument with this person. This is a rebuke and an argument and a rebuke are not the same thing. Um, and right. we, we actually need to be clear on that. An argument uh, assumes a couple things. It, it first begins with the idea that there are two sides to this. That, you know, uh, on some level, you know, uh, reasonable people uh, could reasonably disagree uh, on this and that this is a, a discourse and a marketplace of ideas. And um, we all have a perspective. And, and in fact, perhaps the the most learned of us would benefit from every possible perspective. The, those are on some level the things that undergird uh, a, 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 a spirited conversation or or an argument. That's not what a rebuke is. Uh, a rebuke is about saying you are wrong, full stop, right. and not not so much that you are factually wrong. Because of course, the interesting thing here is that if you want to be a weirdo about grammar, then yes, you should capitalize the the proper name Jesus. Um, so it's not about factuality. You are wrong morally. You have right. crossed a line right. into something that has become abusive. And I am calling you out on that behavior. Um, if you are intervening in an abusive situation, all presumption of both sides have a perspective have already left the building. So this is not an argument in that sense. And therefore, it's actually not a violation of the not owing anyone an argument policy. Um, uh, and, and again, in fact, in this case, part of what you are doing right out of the gate is you are reframing I'm not discussing grammar with you. I'm discussing cruelty with you, and I'm not going to put up with what you are doing. Um, I think the thing that I would want to encourage both you and anyone listening to be aware of is that offering someone a rebuke is a – it's a good skill to have that 
comes up very rarely. When it's mm-hmm. called for, it's very important. Um, and it is it is an important thing to have the the courage and the presence of mind to to issue a rebuke. But unless you live a very rare kind of life, I think it's unlikely that you would find that to be a regular thing. Um, again, it's a, it's a good gear to have. It's a good it's a good skill to have. But it is not something that you are likely going to need as as a regular common thing in your life. Um, again, uh, you know, uh, for a long time, a part of my work at the bridge was dealing with people who, uh, couldn't behave themselves and, uh, needed to no longer be in the building that night. Um, and the number of rebukes that I have issued are vanishingly small after years and years and years of doing that kind of work and literally asking people to leave church, the number of rebukes where it's just, you are bad and wrong, get out is vanishingly small. Um, the, the number of conversations I've had that, you know, said, Hey man, it seems like maybe you've had a little bit to drink tonight. Is that true? Oh, I've had a lot to drink tonight to quote an actual conversation Jed had. (laughs) At at which point I said, well, I hear that man. I tell you what, I think you'd feel better if you went home and slept it off a little bit. We've actually already made you a plate of food. So, you know, why don't, you know, and I'll even walk part of the way with you, but you know, let's get you into bed and get some rest and you can feel a bit better and come back and, and hang out with us next week. And Nine times out of ten, the response says, "Oh, okay, well, that that sounds good. That that's not a rebuke. That's just recognizing there's there's something that you know we need to to stop something before it becomes problematic." So, to put all that in context, a rebuke and an argument are not the same thing. There are moments, and they generally center around abusive behavior, where a rebuke is necessary. It's good to have that gear. But that is a gear of last resort, and it's something that we we don't want to do lightly, and we shouldn't expect to be a common thing that we would need. I think that's a fantastic place to start this discussion off and a really, really good base to set. And Glenn, what would we add from there? Well, I I absolutely agree with with Jed on this. I think, uh, you know, uh, if you run an inner city uh, ministry that involves putting pastors and ex-cons and, and gang members and, and drug addicts in the same room, you're just going to need to do a lot of, <laughs> a lot of correcting in every direction and, and more so with the pastors than with the rest of them. But um, so, so yeah, I've been there, but uh, it, here's the thing. There's only one small thing missing from your consideration here. Uh, First and foremost, yes. If I'm in a room and there's a young person who has dyslexia and they spell the name of Jesus with a lowercase j and someone says, hey, don't do that, it's disrespectful, there's no question I would immediately jump up that person's butt and kick my way out. No doubt about it. Uh, that There would be no hesitation to that. that. Yes, that would happen, but Here's the thing about that that we're missing, perhaps, from that conversation. First of all, I would do that quickly, uh, like as quickly as I could. I would try to do that privately if I possibly could. If I could pull that person aside, depending on the situation, I would do that. But I would also, I, I would, it's one of those things, if you hit it quickly, if you do it thoroughly, and you get off it quickly, All of a sudden, that allows you to change gears to the most important part and maybe the most shocking part, which is to do what you can to restore the person who did the screwing up. If if this person recognizes they've done something wrong, if they're prepared to apologize for it, the the conflict itself is over. There isn't any need for any more negative anything. We've we've solved this issue, but you've also really, really firmly, you know, confronted someone in a way that may really be, you know, semi-traumatic for them. Uh, It may, you know, at the very least, it's going to hurt their feelings and they're going to feel discouraged. And that's not a good place to leave that. Uh, So it's important for us to look at part of the priority here is protect people from being mistreated. And that's what's happening here. Uh, I mean, 
easily we we could go to Matthew 23 where Jesus is talking about uh you know woe to you Pharisees who you know uh, keep people from entering the kingdom of heaven, and you're right. you're barring the way. And then he calls them the sons of the devil. And in this case, we're going beyond that to say that Jesus lacks the ability to discern that no disrespect was intended. So Jesus is going to misunderstand the intent behind what's going on here. That's blasphemy, and it's illogical. So, um, you know, there's there's not a point to be made. But I can, you know, I can nail that down very quickly, and the person's going to back that back down very quickly because, you know, on its face, it's just absurd. But here's the thing: take advantage of that moment to lift this person up. Now, I've done this many times, and here's the secret sauce. I'm going to give it to you, and it works very, very well. Turn to this person who you've just finished, you know, dressing down and say, people who know what they bring to the table and have it valued would never do this. If you knew what you brought to the table and you knew what your gifts and abilities were and people were telling you that you were doing a good job with that, you would not think to do something this absurd. So the problem here is you and I need to look at what do you bring to the table and how can I be supportive in that and how can we create opportunities for your abilities that God's given you to come out? Because what you're doing instead is you're randomly striking around in terrible ideas and causing damage with that. We don't want that. I don't think you've been, I don't think you've had people give you enough of focus and attention for us to work on. What are your guests? What, what you're trying to do something here. I recognize that. That's the, the essence of ministry is how did we get here? And that's what I want to say to this person who has screwed this up. What, how did, the, how did this become a good idea? And my guess is going to be, People have not helped you develop whatever sort of ministry gifts you actually have. A great place to take that. And Lee, where would we wrap this up? Well, I think we've heard a lot of great stuff on this. And, you know, and I also think it's just important for you to recognize um, just how biblically rich what these guys are talking about and how how much it comes up. I was, uh, I immediately, when when Jed uh, lined out the difference between argument and rebuke, I immediately thought of Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says that Peter came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he was hanging out with everybody, the, 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 the people that were Jewish people and the people that were not Jewish people, and he was eating with everybody all the time. And then some other people came from Jerusalem who didn't think it was right for Jewish people to eat with non-Jewish people, and Peter sat at their table in the lunchroom and dissed all the non-Jewish people. And this is in the scriptures. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And this is an important thing um, that we that there it's a it's a biblical thing and it's a right thing that at times you have to stand up to people. I really love this thing. Uh, this what Glenn's talking about of this idea of you are going to. Uh, that you do something as quickly as possible, you do it as privately as possible, and then you turn towards encouragement and and towards become basically what Glenn just lined out is I want to become a team member with this person who was just the offender, and yeah. I want it to be plain to them that I am their team member. This is an extremely important thing. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus having the backs of people like the, your friend who was dyslexic. Of be of going off on the religious people who, as Jesus said, you you strain out a gnat but you swallow a camel. You know you want to everybody to keep these rules, and you you have no idea what you are. Um, and at the exact same time, exactly as Glenn saying, like when when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, he was on the back of this donkey. He was weeping, and he said, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed." to gather you together like a 
a, a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you didn't want it. I want to be on your team. I want you to know how much I love you as well. The last thing I will say to, um, and you obviously know this, but it's just one of these things that needs to be said. Um, Jesus is not offended by someone who lowercases his name. Jesus is the first right. to stoop. Jesus right. is the last to be offended. Also, Jesus knows everyone's motives and hearts. Um, Jesus has the back of your dyslexic friend. To me, probably one of the most beautiful moments in all of the Bible was when uh, Mary of Bethany broke um, a, a, a bottle of perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet, and the disciples started to make fun of her and berate her and um, talk about what a waste this was. They started to make fun of her. In one of the most beautiful sentences in all of the Gospels, Jesus said, leave her alone. Yep. And I, you know, if it was, I don't know if your friend who experienced this problem listens to our podcast, but on the off chance that that, that person does or that anyone else who has undergone this kind of abuse from Christians, the thing that you need to know is Jesus is not offended by our mistakes or by our, uh, when we step our toe out of certain lines of cultural constructs, Jesus is the first ones to stoop. And if somebody, Jesus knows your heart. And if somebody is messing with you, the sentence that Jesus would have to have your back is leave them alone. They have done a beautiful thing to me. And so we just want to speak to that a little bit too, because for those who have been, um, abused, under the hands of of Christians who are completely out of pocket, Jesus has your back, he knows your heart, and he would say, leave them alone. That's all great stuff from all these guys. One thing I will, I will tag on the end here, we've talked a lot about, you know, this this kind of dynamic in the structure of maybe a small group, maybe a church situation, maybe a ministry situation. There's also the online aspect, and we've leaned really hard into you don't know anyone an argument online, because as we've pointed out many times, nothing good comes from a debate on the internet that's just not a thing where something can be accomplished, which is why it is inherently a fool's argument. This is also different in the way these guys are talking about because, um, you know, as, as Jed lined out, maybe this is more of an online thing. Somebody, you know, person A posts a thing that's just insane. Now, I, as person B, could get in there and try to explain to them why that's insane. Probably not going to go well. The way this is probably going to go is, they're going to leave with their mind unchanged. I'm going to leave with my mind unchanged. Everyone's going to be, uh, you know, have, have burned precious minutes on this earth and nothing will have gotten accomplished. However, if person A is a jerk to person B and I as person C come in and say, hey, don't be a jerk to them, exactly as Lee's pointing out here, something has been accomplished because person B read it. Mm. We're no longer concerned with person A. They are not the focus here. We're not trying to change their mind. We're not trying to make sure they never do this again. We're not trying to make them see the error of their ways in the way we might, if there was just someone expressing an opinion, if they're being aggressive towards someone. Now we're concerned about, about person C here. We're concerned about picking them up, dusting them off and reinforcing them in the way these guys talk about. And that again, to go back to where Jed started us, not something we want to do all the time. And on the internet, you also don't want to go jumping in things that aren't necessarily your business. Cause that doesn't lead to a lot of good things, but when you do need to bust that out, when you feel called to do that, that's why we're doing it. We're doing it so that the aggrieved party sees someone stand up for them, sees someone have their back in the way these guys have described. We're not that worried about the person who is being a jerk, being uh, having their mind change. And that's the big difference to me between an argument, as you've laid it out, and to use the term Jed put on, which I think is exactly right, a rebuke where the, the reason no one can win an argument on the internet is there's no one scoring it. There's no audience. There's no mm. vote. There's just, it's just people talking. This does have an audience and it is the audience of the person who was wronged. And that is definitely something that is in a lot of cases worth doing. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I keep having thoughts of self worthlessness. Every time I offer help or assistance, but someone chooses to ask others for help instead. I understand there's their choice, so I can't force them. However, I keep having doubts and thoughts of self-condemnation, like I'm not worth anything. How does Jesus view this? And another great question. And Glenn, where would we start off here? 
Yes, and and I can relate to this tremendously. Uh, I want to say that before I get started. But hey, you know, how does how does Jesus view um, you being dismayed that other people uh, seek uh, advice? Uh, contrary to your own, and they they don't ask you for advice; they they ask other people for advice. And what does Jesus think about that? Uh, Jesus is probably wondering how often he's offering you help or assistance, and you're turning to somebody else, uh, because that's kind of how that works. You know, the, uh, the uh, I can get very frustrated with the people I'm trying to minister to on occasion, but the first question I have to ask myself is you know, how am I with Jesus? In other words, am I allowing Jesus to lead me in a more effective way than other people are allowing themselves to be led? Uh, So ultimately, I think it's about recognizing that we all have headstrong ways about us. We all have those tendencies of uh, you know, I want to do things my own way. And and also, I think we all tend to seek that echo chamber of people telling us what we want to hear, uh, you know, people, it's sort of that confirmation bias of I, I want people to, um, you know, tell me stuff that lines up with what I'm already thinking. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they're evil either, by the way. It just means that this is human nature. We have to understand that if we're going to be setting out to help people. Uh, the, the the sharper you are, the smarter you are, the more lined out you are, the more often you seek advice. If I look at the people who ask me for advice, th- those are some of the sharpest people I know, uh, frankly. And I, it's even more remarkable that nine times out of ten, they've got it mostly figured out. In some cases, it's just you know, they want to know that they're on the right track because it's a tough situation. In some cases, it's they're just missing one little piece of the puzzle. Uh, you know, kind of like what we were looking on the on the last question. You know, that that piece of, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to build someone up and and get them in the right direction after they've screwed up. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's it's important to recognize that the people who need advice the most sense they need it the least. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird irony, uh, but it's, it's a good time for you to recognize that's kind of how these things go. Uh, the final thing I would say there is there are people at the bottom of life that know that they need help. Mm-hmm. They just know it. <laughs> and, and they need a lot of help in a lot of directions. If you find those people... They will be happy to receive that help. Now they, you know, they're still going to be headstrong as well. They're still going to do it the way they want to do it. But if you find that kind of environment, you're going to find a lot of different people that need help. So whoever's having a funky attitude can just kind of be on the back burner while you help somebody else. And then when they get off that funky attitude, you know, it's time to move them up to the front burner and we just keep going here. So there's no hard feelings. There's no negativity to that. It's just whoever's ready, let's get them in motion. And whoever's not ready, let's, you know, get them in a sort of a holding pattern while we focus on somebody else. Uh, if you, if you find people that know that they need help, you will, yep. you will find that you don't have enough time to offer a lot of unwanted help to other people. And that's a good thing. I think that's a really, really strong point. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because even though what Glenn said is entirely true, there are a lot of people, and I think we are all these people at times, and we all know these people, who if they offer help to 10 people and nine say, absolutely, I can't wait, let's do it, and one says, no, I'm good, they're going to spend all their mental energy on the one and not yep. the nine. Not that they yeah. that time, and that's a perfectly human uh, reaction and a thought process to work through. But I think we do need to examine that a little bit, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm going to come in on these same notes, exactly as you're saying, Matt, that, that Glenn left us off on, which is that not everybody sees how amazing you are. <laughs> not, not everybody sees no. what you bring to the table. Not everybody sees what Glenn brings to the table or what Jed does or what Matt does. And, and 
And these guys are amazing dudes. And part of the thing that they have figured out is I'm going to help somebody who wants my help. And I'm going to have plenty of people to fill my time. Um, you know, one of the things that um one of the things that that I noticed today, so my my wife is someone at our church who volunteers uh with teaching the children's church to the little elementary school aged kids. We have right now because of COVID restrictions, we have church out in a in a city park. So everybody's outside, everybody has camp chairs. We set up a canopy for children's church and a and a tarp and everybody's all spread out and they've got their little clipboards and that kind of stuff. And my wife volunteers with, uh, you know, several people who are on rotation to teach these little kids. Now, I am of the opinion that everybody who's having a problem in the city of Oak Ridge should call Christy and ask her advice. That's that's something I think would be a wise thing for anybody to do. If you're having a problem, you should call her. She is extremely wise, extremely kind. She's a great listener, and she has a lot of experience. Not everybody does that, and it would be it the it would be a, a shame if if she got into her own head about that. But what she does instead is she volunteers and tells the little kids about Jesus and loves on them and cares about them. And when we got home from church today, um, I walked in the house and I came home a little bit later because I had to load out some equipment, and and I saw her face and. Her face looked like just the sun had risen on this woman's face. She was so excited. She was so enriched. She was so full. Her eyes were huge. She had a huge smile on her face. And I was like, dude, look at you. You look uh, amazing. You look so excited. And she said, I just got to serve people. I got to serve the Lord. I got to do ministry. I got to help these kids. And I think that speaks exactly to what Glenn's saying is, it would, and what Matt was kind of leading up in this question, it would be very easy to get hung up on the people who don't recognize what you bring, what you offer, and what, and, and what you can do for them. But there are people who are needy, and when you just set your hand to the grindstone of helping them, you are going to get filled up. Because what the scripture says is that Jesus has stuff for you to do. He sees how amazing you are. He knows the gifts that he's given you. He knows what he wants to do with your life, how he wants to use you. And when you set your hand to the plow of doing those things, finding somebody who needs some help and helping them, what you're going to find is an otherworldly joy, something that we can't, you can't manufacture, you can't you can't replace that or anything like that. And so what we want to do is not get hung up on people who don't recognize what you have and what you are, but find people who need some help and go ahead and help them. And then you're going to find a, a fulfillment and a joy on the other side of that. All great stuff there as well. And Jed, what would we add to this? To close it out. Well, certainly, you know, want to echo everything you've already heard. Uh, let's just add basically some left and right limits. So, You've got people to to go back to your question. Uh, you offer someone, as you say, you offer someone help or assistance, but they choose to ask others for help instead. And we're we're not quite sure what to think with that. Okay, so let's let's look at some left and right limits to be able to navigate this. Uh, one limit is, and I don't think this is the case, but let's consider it. One limit is that you're bad at advice. Uh, so let's examine for a second what that might be, because there are people out there for whom that's true. I don't think that's true of you, but let's examine it. So one would be Bibling it. So uh, someone has gone through a messy breakup and you go to some, you know what, I know you're going through a hard time and I just want to talk about the book of third Hezekiah with you because I think that would really just sort your situation out. Uh, that's that's kind of injecting the the Bible into something in a kind of unasked for way. People don't generally like that. That leads to the second element of being bad at advice, which is just being a jerk. Um, so, you know, uh, you, you're talking about the bad breakup. You say, well, you know, a lot of people have been through breakups, so maybe you should just get over it. Uh, that's that's being a jerk. So if that was going on, uh, it would kind of make sense. People wouldn't really be signing up for that. And then the last thing in terms of not being great at advice is just not knowing what you're talking about. Um, you know, maybe they've... Um, uh, lost a job and they feel really discouraged about that. And you're still in college and you've never had a job before. And it's just not something you really know how to speak to. 
Okay. So those are all examples of maybe not being great at advice. But again, I, I doubt that that's the case for you, but it's, it's worth knowing what the limits on one side of the equation would look like. And so in the spirit of left and right limits, on the one side, we have not being great at giving advice, and those would be examples. Now let's look at the limit on the other side, and that is they, to use a term from the Bible, they kind of have itching ears. There's a kind of advice that they want to hear, and maybe you're not supplying it. You know, um, they they went through a, a bad breakup, and the advice they want to hear is that Christopher is the worst human being in the world, and anything that's not that is not advice that I'm interested in hearing. And I think if we're going to be honest, most of us have had moments in our lives where that's kind of where we were at. There's There's one thing and only one thing that I'm interested in hearing, and this person's not offering that, so I'm not really interested in the advice. Now, here's what's really, really important, is you've got your left limit, you've got your right limit. The vast majority of cases fall in between those two, the vast, vast majority of cases. And what that means is most of the time, if you're offering assistance to people and they're not taking you up on it, there's a million reasons that don't have anything to do with you. And I think that that can be very, very hard to live with because in a sense, it's a little bit easy if it's like, oh, I'm just bad at advice. Therefore, people don't want my advice. Well, we can make sense of that. I mean, that, you know, uh, that, that we track with, but again, I don't think that's the case for you and we can make sense with, well, they, they, they want, there's an active piece of not super helpful advice that they want and I won't give it to them. So that's, that's what that is. But if it's no, they, they know that I have something to contribute and they're not trying to hear bad advice, but they're just not in a place where they want to hear things in, in this way. It's really hard to make peace with that. And I think that there's some part of us that wants to assign that to ourselves. Um, and I think that's where some of the, the self-condemnation that you're describing comes in. There's some part of us that, that says, well, this must be a reflection in some way on me. And it's not. It's just not. I, I know this seems strange, but one of the things I've been, I've been working with artists and musicians for a long time now. And one of the things that I have had to make peace with that has taken me a, a long time, and I hope you're able to do it faster than I could, is to accept that a lot of people just get a thought in their head and they just want to do what they want to do. They are not concerned about what would make the best art. They are not concerned about what would sell the most copies. They are not concerned about what would do the greatest ministry value. They just have an idea and they want to do what they want to do. And that is it. That is what is driving their decision-making. And the weird thing about that is it's not exactly like, a respectable position. I mean, it's not something where we're like, that's great. We should all live that way, but there's not exactly, exactly something wrong with it either. Um, you know, I just, I had a vision for the way that I wanted to do this thing. So, and it's not a particularly great vision, but it's what I want to do. So I'm going to go do that now. Um, when it comes to getting advice, that's actually how a lot of people operate is, I just kind of got an idea of what I would want this to be, and that's that's what it's going to be now. Whether it's a particularly wise or well-advised idea is neither here nor there, but the key thing is it's not a statement on you. It just doesn't have anything to do with you at all. And I know that that's hard to live with, but that kind of takes us back to uh, what Lee was describing really well, which is find somebody that does want your help and help them. Because again, if we review our three cases, if you're bad at giving help, which I don't think you are, but if you were, we could work on that. We could learn some ministry skills and figure out how to get better at that. And if this person just wanted to hear what their itching ears want to hear, well, we could, we can make peace with that. But what's left in between is this million other reasons. And the best remedy for that is recognizing when this person is ready to receive my help, they will come and I will offer it. In the meantime, there are other people who are ready to receive my help and I'm going to go find them and offer that help to them. All wonderful stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, you could join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for The Bridge Live, or you can catch that whenever is convenient for you at the videos tab on that same Facebook page. You can check out missionusa.com slash bridgebox for some more good stuff. We're going to take you out with a song this week. We had some fun with the Florida men of the Old Testament, so we'll take you out with a little Old Testament. This is the Pool House Guru's take on Micah 6, 8. 
which is available yeah. on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you download or stream music currently, the entire Pool House Guru Volume 1. Just a little reminder there. Yeah, that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Florida man and three associates start a podcast dedicated to Simpsons references, the Bible, and fashion advice with listeners sending in food products of their respective countries in an apparent f- podcasting for food scheme. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Show sure.